you're an entrepreneurial public servant, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA, and today we have on the podcast my friend, Susie Reichert. Welcome to the show, Susie. Hey, thank you so much, BJ. I'm really excited to get to talk with you today. I'm excited to get to talk with you, and I think we should tell the audience to start out. It's right after Mother's Day, so we'll timestamp this a little bit. I want to wish you a, a late Happy Mother's Day. Um, I also want to say that the the allergies and the pollen is absolutely insane right now. So if I'm uh, if I'm a little off on my voice, that is why. Um, so welcome. I think this was a podcast a long time in the making. Oh, that's exciting to hear. Um, <laughs> I know. I've I've been looking forward to talking to you since we met at the Sammy conference and to get to have the one-on-one -on -one time. I guess I had to come on a podcast to do that. But. That's that's right. <laughs> and for our audience, if you don't know what Sammy is, it's SAME, Society of American Military Engineers. Uh, and Susie and I met at the SAME Small Business Conference in November. And I think we were a bit of kindred souls. Uh, we talk about entrepreneurial public servants. We both are operating in the federal public space, at least part of our businesses, and a lot of Susie's focus and background are. So Susie, how did we get to where you're at right now? You're at Wetlands, right? Wetlands Studies and Solutions, Inc., which is part Correct. of the Davy Company. And you can, you can talk to us a little bit about that, but how did you end up in this industry? Where did you start out? What's your upbringing? How did you end up as a, uh, environmental scientist slash planner in the federal federal industry. Yeah, I think it's going to be a similar story to what I've heard from a lot of your guests and other folks in the industry. It's taken a lot of different crazy turns. Never expected to get, you know, where I am and working in Virginia for wetland studies. Um, I grew up on a farm in Iowa and seeing the erosion there. I don't know why it touched me, but I really was bothered by watching the soils um, wash away and, you know, the dust come off. So I went to Iowa State and I got a degree in soil science and don't really do a whole lot with soil science anymore, but it opened up the doors for me to work for the Forest Service. And I got into burn area emergency rehab with the Forest Service where I was on a team that was um, followed large wildfires around the West, and we would do emergency assessment of severe erosion and flooding after the big wildfires. Um, it, while I was in that position, I ended up getting hired out of the Forest Service into an environmental consulting job with URS in California and continued that work. And while I was with URS, they said, oh, you do you're working for the federal space. You're an environmental person. We need a NEPA person uh, to do some FEMA work. And sure. So I got involved with NEPA. It's been about 21 years now that I did my first uh, NEPA job and really liked it. That's one of the things uh, that has kept me or one of the things that has kept me in NEPA for so long is it's interdisciplinary. Mm -hmm. 
So I get to be, know a little bit about everything, not enough. That's why I love relying on subject matter experts. Um, and I get to work with a ton of different people. So I think that's part of the allure of NEPA for me, um, beyond the technical. But uh, I am actually sitting in my mom's basement recording this right now. And she is the reason I am in Virginia at this point. So I was in California and came to help her open up a bed and breakfast um, uh, in a historic home in Southwest Virginia and transferred to the Germantown, Maryland office of URS and ended up working there for a while. So I got to see um, the large federal space, large company space and doing really big NEPA projects and working with subject matter experts, you know, on whales in Alaska or you know, just all ran the gamut of, um, of SMEs. Let me, let, I so, want to interrupt you really quick because yeah. um, we're getting more and more transitioning vets that are uh, coming into the industry, listening to the podcast. So we want to be very intentional when there's uh, acronyms like NEPA. Tell our audience oh, what right. NEPA stands for. Gosh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's the National Environmental Policy Act. So it's a, it's a process that all federal agencies have to follow. If there's any action that they're taking, NEPA also is applied if there's any federal funding. So if a locality is receiving a grant that has EPA funds, USDA funds, et cetera, um, that approving agency has to, let's say it's the USDA um, that's giving a grant to a cow operation, which is what we see a lot uh, where I live. We have to look at the environmental impacts of that project because um, it's, you know, really the, the goal of it is to be smart about the use of federal money and making sure that we're considering the effects to the environment. And give us some examples of those effects that we're, that are taking into consideration in the EIS. Yeah, air quality. Um, a lot of transportation projects have heavy air and noise modeling components. Um, very frequently, we're looking at wetlands impacts, um, threatened and endangered species cultural resources if they're digging. Um, I know you uh, have a lot of vets. So we've done veterans affairs work where they're looking to build a new hospital. So we're making sure that they're not, you know, digging somewhere where there's um, uh, a historic resource. Um, like sometimes we've found prehistoric sites and they just, they can either take the artifacts and uh, catalog them or and then go on with the project or they you know, avoid and minimize. So that's, we're brought on early in the process to look at the potential effects of a project and then to try and avoid any adverse effects or mitigate them. Perfect. That helps. That helps. All right, so back to, you were at URS, big business. Yes, so that was in the, the DC area, and as I think I've alluded to, I live down in Southwest Virginia, and I found a fabulous small company, um, small in the eyes of the federal government, that it was an environmental consulting firm and got hired uh, on with them. And that firm was purchased by Wetland Studies and Solutions about a year and a half ago. So that's how I ended up at Wetland Studies. So I went from huge company to a 35 person firm, and now I'm at a midsize. So the challenges that have come with changing that status um, 
have been interesting, but it's also given me a lot of perspective on uh, different contracting styles. Uh, you've got kind of a diverse background of like the, the emergency rehab uh, or burn area emergency rehab position sounds like such an adventure. Tell us like, it was fun. how did you end up there originally? Just, just an opportunity? I, yeah, yeah, I was a soil scientist on the Stanislaw National Forest just outside of Yosemite. My boss at the time was really into the burn area work and couldn't go on assignment and said, hey, are you interested? And uh, you get to fly in helicopters and you get to be red carded and pretend like you're a firefighter. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool. I said, I'm in. Um, what, what environment have you liked the most from a business standpoint? If you've been in small, medium and large, uh, or, or analysis of the strengths and weaknesses, like what are the parts that you like about each? Yeah, that's a great one. Um, the large business was cool because we had just at our fingertips, a huge variety of subject matter experts in, like I said, Threatened endangered species. We had a, a project with NASA where they we and looked at the environmental effects of launching rockets to the International Space Station. So what happens when the payload drops into the ocean? We have specialists on staff that could tell you the percent of a chance that it would hit a threatened or I believe they're endangered uh, right whale. Wow. That kind of blows my mind. You know, we had we had specialists in everything you could imagine. And it was great to be able to bring that kind of solution to your client. You know, anything you need, we got you covered. So in talks with you um, in other, you know, other companies, my, to sort of fulfill that same thing, but from a small business perspective, for me, it's all about teaming. And when you went to the small company, okay, we've got, you know, a few strengths, but where are we going to find that total solution for the client? That's where I got into business development and teaming. Yeah. I think the, I mean, that's the part that I love the most about the industry. Um, and, and I like that small businesses are a bunch of different subject matter experts and a bunch of different uh, relationships that, you know, I think that me reaching out to a partner firm that has this expertise, I'm going to get almost better service sometimes than if I was inside of a big company and I'm trying to trying to get attention on on my client's project. So I, I agree that there's there's strengths and weaknesses to both, but as a small business, I'll uh, I'll tout that I, I like small businesses, we always we always have the entire business on the line. Uh, so relationship and responsiveness drive everything. I think big businesses would say the same thing, but when you're reaching through an organization, it's like you've got all these middle layers of management to get through to get the right resource. So it's in there, it's in that organization, but you may not be able to be as as responsive. And good, bad, indifferent, it's just, it's why I love teaming, it's why I love the business development uh, side of the business. Yeah, I think one of the, my favorite things about the small company is kind of getting to what you were saying about the large, uh, you know, just there's so much to it. And in a small company, I really feel everybody feels the ownership. Everybody has such a significant piece to play. And I feel like they take it upon themselves a little bit more to, you know, maybe be more judicious with 
company spending or to go and do business development. You, you just wear so many hats. And I personally feel more comfortable at the small company because I get to do more. I think it's just yeah. more fun. It's kind of an issue that I think I have with life. I want to do all the things all the time <laughs> and having to focus it and do, you know, like right now it's soccer season. Oh, well, we're only playing soccer. Like I want to do it all, but yeah, it's the same in business. I, I wonder what that is. Um, I, you should take the Colby test. K-O-L-B-E. Hmm. Check out the Colby test. I don't know what it stands for. I think it's the name of the lady that started it. Uh, but I think it's a personality trait because I'm, I'm very similar. It's like, oh, we can do it all. And I mean, I think there is part of the vision and, and, and the desire and the entrepreneurial spirit to try and do it all. And, you know, you started out by talking about erosion and how you have this like vivid memory, I guess, of, of wanting to be involved in solving that problem. Uh, so I think it's also, there's a lot of problems to solve. So it's like, how do we, how do we get out there and get involved in all of it? Um, so speaking of problems uh, or challenges, do you have a leadership or project challenge that stands out to you in your career that, that highlights you know, an important leadership lesson that you've learned? Yeah, and it really follows up on wanting to do all the things all the time. For me, a leadership challenge is focusing on what's important. I've actually given this some thought, you know, for me, I, I made a list even like, well, what do I feel is important? It's, you know, building internal relationships, building client relationships, managing your work well, um, tracking opportunities, staying current technically in your field, um, learning about leadership, you know, reading the books that we read, the podcasts, conducting training, and there's only so many hours in the day. So for me, I've... You know, I've really thought about if I have to choose, mentoring is, I think, extremely important. Um, that's a that's where I like to focus. But I also recently have had a kind of some heart to heart. I like to think of myself as hyper responsive <laughs> when somebody emails and, you know, the, the electronic tracking that they have in Teams and it's like Viva or something. I looked at that and was like, I respond to like 95% of emails within 30 minutes. That's great if you're not me. <laughs> it comes at a price. And I think that for me is, um, you know, bringing it back to leadership is not only making sure that you're focused on the right thing, but working with your staff to understand what they should be focused on and not being, I tend to be very scattered because I want to do everything. That's a great point. I mean, how do we dig into that? Because I, I, I just talked about how in small business we can be more responsive. Um, and what does responsive mean? Is it 24 hours? Is it 48 hours? Sometimes it's those layers of management that like set the expectation that like, all right, I'm going to get an answer in 72 hours. When you're the small business owner and somebody's reaching out to you, it's like the expectation is you're going to get an answer immediately. And every time you answer something immediately, you just set the expectation that this person always responds immediately. So I, it, it, I, I feel that problem. Um, yeah. And I think it's a balance and I think it's a good balance or a good tension to have because you want to be responsive, but you also need to have, uh, I think it's Cal Newport that talks about deep work time. Uh, and then you have to, so I'm all about how do we build the systems around us that allows us as a business to be responsive, not necessarily 
BJ as the president or as the outward facing representative of the company to be responsive. Uh, and, and we're working through that and there's, I don't think there's any like silver bullet solution, but it's, it's a balance. And I think, I think that back to your point of mentorship, we have to be setting an expectation to our uh, subordinates or our team members, like you're going to drive yourself insane and we don't want to, we don't want you to drive yourself insane, right? Like. I said, if there's yeah. a bunch of BJs running around here, we would not be a very good business. <laughs> I I feel that for sure. And when I'm when I'm thinking about focusing, and I think there's a there's a couple books, Deep Work, and then the one thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read that one, but it's it really does talk about the importance of you know blocking out a couple hours a day. And I recently just started doing that, and it it almost gave me a, an anxiety attack. The first time I was like, I'm not gonna respond to somebody for two hours, but what if they think I'm not? But you really have to do that to focus. And I, th- I think prioritizing getting the work done and your staff seeing that, that, hey, you know, I, you know, making sure that your deliverable is getting reviewed or, you know, this client is getting the attention they need. And this is, you know, it changes day to day what I decide that two hour block needs to be focused on. Right. But I have found that extremely helpful. I just recently. I, I think it, I do the same thing. Like the podcast. Now we only record on Thursday afternoons. It's a four hour block of time. That is just podcasting time for anybody who's wondering how we do this out there. Uh, there's an entire team behind me helping stay organized. Um, but that allows me to just get in the mode to record. And, you know, so I try to put the entire week into 10, four hour blocks and just focus in on the things that are, um, are most important. And I took that because four hour work week, uh, Tim Ferriss, if, if, if you don't know who Tim Ferriss is, check him out. Great, great, uh, voice author podcast of our of our time um and he probably has the second best friday email out there five ball friday second to mine um but um he he wrote a book four hour work week and i was always thinking okay four hour work week that sounds great and it was all about you know getting your you know running a business or side hustle or whatever that allows you to create an income that allows the rest of your life to be focused on other things so in my mind, I'm like, well, how do I have, if I have 40 hours, could I have 10, four hour businesses? And those businesses may be projects, they may be clients, they may be initiatives. Um, and they really start thinking about how do I time block my week on a specific initiative, a specific part of the business, a specific relationship inside of the business so that it's, it's kind of batched. Um, and that may or may not be helpful to you or to our listeners, but that's kind of, to me, it forces you to think really, really focused and effective. You cannot take on more than 10 things uh, at a time, right? And, and really that's at, that's at my leadership level. And that's usually I'm interacting with a project manager for that four hour and block and somehow giving them ways to navigate a project or business development team, ways to navigate or, or put together a proposal or a strategy for, for going after a new client base. Uh, but that's, I, I try to block my week into to 10 four hour blocks and then lunches and, and coffees or whatever. 
uh, are some of the relationship and business development uh, building time. So for what that's worth. Well, I have a follow-up question for you then. Okay. You're, I'm, I'm a list maniac. So are you, with your four-hour blocks, are you constantly, you know, prioritizing goals for the week, goals for the day? Like, how are you organizing yourself? All right. So there's two books that I'm going to recommend. EOS uh, Traction is kind of a business book that gave us a framework to get the company living in a quarterly mindset. So we, okay. we only take on quarterly, they're called quarterly rocks. And then there's a book and I'm rereading it because I had, well, the company has grown significantly in the last three years. We went from, you know, just under uh, 20 people. I think we we're at 18 people when I took over. We're now at 40 people. So the other book is Getting Things Done. And I'll have to, we'll put it in the show notes. I'm getting the, the interview is getting reversed on me here. Uh, yeah. Getting Things Done gives you kind of ways that, those those four hour blocks you should be really effective with them because whether it's a project an initiative and a relationship like all right you know that you're meeting with that person at that time and it's also gotten me out of this frantic like i gotta meet with everybody all the time i gotta stop by to see everything it's like no finance and administrative stuff is going on on friday morning after our after our corporate meeting um, and then my Friday afternoons, I call follow-up Friday. So Friday afternoon is completely time-blocked for all follow-ups. That's, that's all I do on Friday afternoons. Um, so getting things done is, a, is kind of a personal to-do list management, all of the things that are coming at us because we're, we're very active on LinkedIn. So I've got a lot of LinkedIn management going on, a lot of email management, phone call, text, cell phone. Like it becomes overwhelming. Um, and I do have an executive assistant, so she also, she stays frantic, keeping me organized. <laughs> she does a great job with it. Because <laughs> you appear extremely organized, so <laughs> well done. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right, I'm going to jump into some rapid fire questions. Uh, and can, make, I, yeah. can I make one more comment? Oh, yes. Yeah, something that you said in one of your early podcasts and I don't remember the guest, but they followed up on, I really wanted to mention, and it gets back to one of the things that I think is great about small business compared to large business. You guys were talking about A players mm. and you said that you like to hire A players and you had a conversation about what that meant to you. And your guest said something about, yeah, that's really cool. If you only have A player, you know, A players want to win the championship. And if you get around other A players, it just elevates the mood and you all have this collective mindset of you know, being driven and energetic and productive and you know thinking big. That resonated with me more than anything I've heard in a long time. And it is something that I think I would like people to think about, you know, when you get into an organization, whether it's a small company or a larger company, find those A players, find the people that motivate you. It really helped me understand why when I got into wetland studies in Davie, some of the people that I was linking up with, and I thought about that, and I'm like, yeah, those are A players. They motivate me. I think, I, I mean, so I could go off on a tangent here. Um, 
All right. So in small, this is the big difference between small business and big business. And, and I came out of the biggest business in the world. So I think I have a little bit of experience with this. So I'm going to, I'm going to go hard on it is that in a large organization, uh, C players can hide and they can get away with being C players. Now, at the leader in me says there's a total failure on the organizational leadership that allows a C player to be in that role because I don't think anybody wants to come to work to trade time for money. So that's a cultural issue. That's an, it's an organizational issue. It was probably uh, a leadership issue or a mentorship issue 20 years ago. And that problem, that person just, and uh, I got to figure out the book. I'm looking at my shelf right now. It's a Jack Welsh book. Jack Welsh in winning. He was famous for like firing the bottom 10% of the company. And it wasn't that he fired the bottom 10%. He recycled them into different parts of the organization. Because if you're a bottom 10% performer in a company, you're probably in the wrong role. Right? So you're doing that person a disservice if you just accept their behavior as they're just not a performer. No, that's not true. Everybody brings value to the fight. Everybody has skill sets. So the leader's job is to really diagnose and understand what drives this person, what are they what are they looking for in their in their career that stops the transactional behavior of I'm here to trade time for money. You're going to pay me and I'm going to sit here and I may or may not be effective to how do we make this person wildly effective and excited to come to work because then they become an A player. So there's two sides to that story. There's talent recruitment. And I think we do wanna be bringing in A players because in a small growing business, every investment I make in a new person is an investment in growth, right? So that person's going to either represent us technically to a client or professionally from marketing or administratively or financially. And I've seen mistakes when poor players make mistakes and they go unnoticed because we're relying on that person to be, you know, wear a couple of hats, the problems just kind of expand over time and then it's that much more expensive to fix down the line. So that there's so many lessons to be learned in, uh, in creating an A player hiring process and an A player uh, retention process and an A player development process. So we've moved from just an A player hiring mindset to an A player talent management mindset because our entire goal is to make MCFA a platform or a business where everybody can become the best version of themselves. Because I believe greater than uh, project results and satisfied or, or raving fan clients is fulfilled employees. And fulfilled employees means that they're getting to be who they want to be professionally and personally and, and succeeding at it. Um, rant over. <laughs> you don't get to ask oh, any more I, questions. No, I, I, we're just t- getting the tip of the iceberg here. <laughs> Quick follow-up. I absolutely believe that leadership is about seeing, finding the best in what people do and what motivates and drives them. Yeah, I don't want somebody on my team coming to work that's like, eh, I'm not sure I want to be here. Like, it's a good job. I want somebody that's coming to work that feels really valued and is, I mean, look, it's work. We're not always going to be excited every day. But somebody that has that meaning. So I hope you ask me what my favorite quote is because it's directly oh, oh, tied into that. Let's go there. We'll, go, we'll start the with that. We'll start with that. Favorite, favorite quote. quote. All right. This is a Victor Frankl quote. Ooh. And man's search for meaning. What man, 
Yes, it's from the book. What man actually needs is not a tensionless state, but rather the striving and struggling for some goal worthy of him. Yeah. I fully believe this. I feel like we've got to have people working towards something meaningful. And if they're exactly what you just said, if they're just coming to work, it's boring for them and it's not great for the company. Uh, and it's not great for the client, right? The, the, the product or whatever, yeah. the, whatever the result that the organization's yep. mission is, I don't care if you're a healthcare worker inside of the VA, an accountant inside of the Corps of Engineers, I, it, it, at some point in time, the organization is going to suffer and the organization mission is gonna suffer. Uh, and we were just for everybody's knowledge, we're gonna, we're just taking it all out here right now. We were debating on on the opening of the show, entrepreneurial public servant, and like, what does that mean? And do we do we categorize our listeners as that? And as you're saying that, I think an entrepreneurial public servant is somebody who understands the meaning inside of their organization, and they're committed to the mission, and they want to constantly be improving. Because I think entrepreneurial means creation of value. And it may actually, like the definition of it may actually be that. So we want to create value in the world. Um, and that value is not just financial. It's it's putting our own human capital to work for some better end state. Uh, so that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. And that's why the why is inspiring people in places. It's to help people become the best version of themselves. It's to inspire people that there's something better, something greater, something more out there to be had. Inspiring People in Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE-verified, service-disabled, veteran-owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people in places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. I can give you a specific example and I think that could be applied to almost anybody in any organization, whether you're, you know, working for the Army Corps, VA, mm -hmm. consulting firm. When I got in to Wetland Studies in Davy Tree, Davy Resource Group is our uh, our organizational name, with the Wetland Studies is housed in. I said from the get-go, they gave me so much opportunity. I felt like I was an entrepreneur inside an already established business. What a fabulous place to be. You know, it's, there's some security there, but also room to really grow and, and give value. And I love that concept. And I think it can be applied anywhere. You can be an entrepreneur with a great secure job or, you know, you don't have to be, I think we think of entrepreneurs as somebody that's starting up their own business. Yeah. I don't buy into that. It's, uh, I mean, that, that's that too, but. Well, it, and it's not because, I, and Erica, can you can you actually Google the definition of entrepreneur while we're talking about this? Erica is going to get involved here. Um, Erica's in the background. She's the one that makes everything happen. Just so shout out to Erica. Um, and the wife of a active duty uh, army officer. Where was I going with this? Uh, entrepreneur is not about taking risk. Entrepreneur is about creating value. We think that entrepreneur is about risk taking, but uh, there's there's story after story that some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our time were like completely risk averse. 
and why they succeeded was because they were squeezing all of the risk out before they they launched their um, their project or their initiative or their company. So I believe, and, and Eric is going to tell me if I'm right or wrong, that the actual root of entrepreneur is um, value creation. All right, we're going to jump. We're going to get back to that. All right, Erica, talk to me. The definition of an entrepreneur, a person who organizes and operates a business or businesses taking on greater than normal financial risk in order to do so. <laughs> All right, I'm wrong. <laughs> hey, we can make our own, I'm going our own to. definitions. All right, must read book. Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, oh. my favorite book. And tell us who Marcus Aurelius is. He was a Roman emperor and he did not write the book for anybody but himself. And it's really just his, he's one of the key people in Stoic philosophy. And it's, it seemed, it sounds like it might be not relatable. It is so relatable. It's his thoughts on how to handle life. It, and it's, I just have read it over and over. It's essentially, and I would recommend it. It's essentially his journal, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, stoicism. We could go, we could have yeah. an entire podcast on that. All right. Um, current event, public policy, society issue. I know that you coach soccer. What else do you care about outside of your uh, professional role? Wow, I wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I hate to be boring here, but I care about my professional role. One of my, the things I care about the most is relating to people and helping younger, like mentoring, whether it's the kids in soccer or, um, you know, younger staff in the company or some younger parents mm. that I have that are, I, I'm just highly interested and curious in people. Uh, and so I think the other thing I, I wanted to talk about is looking for the unique value in everybody. It has fascinated me, like the Society of Military, American Military Engineers Conference, somebody that you think you've got pegged and you actually sit down and listen and have a conversation with them, their story. And everybody's got a story. Yeah. And I don't care if it's the kid in second grade that I'm coaching or if it's, you know, the veteran that I'm talking to uh, on a project. Everyone has a story. Uh, I agree with that. I think that's one of the, I mean, that's the best part of having a podcast is I get to hear everybody's stories. Um, dead, I'm jealous. <laughs> you can do one too. Uh, dead or alive, if you could hang out with three people for a day, who would they be and what would you do? I was hoping you'd ask that. Nelson Mandela, Marcus Aurelius, who wrote Meditations, right. and Tommy Rivers Pusey. Who is, so who is Tommy Rivers Pusey? Yeah, so he is uh, an elite marathoner, and I got to know him through my iFit treadmill because he <laughs> teaches you I get to run with him. Um, and then he was actually on the Rich Roll podcast. He recently went through cancer and survived, and his, that is my favorite podcast of all episode of all time, Rich Roll's interview of uh, Tommy Ribs, they call him. And it's interesting. So in, in thinking about this podcast and you, knowing that you might ask that, I wrote those three people down and they were the first ones that came to me. And I, I sat and looked at it and I was like, why? Why these three? And 
I really, I came up with a list of the characteristics that they all have. Calmness, control, discipline, empathy, achievement, and really doing things for the greater good of others. They all are very um, public servant oriented. Hmm. And it, I, and it's not even so much that I would want to have conversations with them. I just would want to be around them and see how they conduct themselves and kind of bask in their presence. I like it. I'm going to have to check out that uh, podcast. How do you spell his last name? Pusey? Yeah. P-U-Z-E-Y. P-U-Z-E-Y. He, he's an amazing guy. Just very compassionate. It's reminds me a lot of, you know, Gary V preaches. I know you're a Gary V fan. He's always talking about kindness and accountability. Like you can have both. Yes. And that's, I think all these people have that. They're highly, you know, very high achievers and they're accountable, but they also have a lot of kindness along with it. So I think if, if you jump to, I think that the best winning teams have this excitement and desire and fun about winning, not a fear and anxiety about failing. And I think that's that's that tension. Like, how do you create so much momentum, so much excitement, so much focus, uh, so much energy towards winning that failure becomes non-existent as an option? Uh, and I think the, the reverse of that is, I think it was... Um, Henry Ford that said obstacles are those pesky little things that get in the way when you take your eye off of success. Um, and that's what failure, failure, fear of failure comes from, like not thinking about winning, thinking about how am I going to lose or, or what are the risks? Um, so I, I agree that the calm of those high achievers is that that's probably like that inner peace. How do they get there? And I think that's where stoicism uh, really hits the nail on the head. Uh, can you name an individual in the industry who inspires you and why? I've thought about that. That's a, there, my, my manager at, at 3E and Wetland Studies, and I know this sounds so cliche, but truly, his name is Andy Kassoff. He inspires me um, he is the best listener I think I've ever known. He always has time for staff. He's extremely intelligent and well-rounded. But the thing that he's always inspired me on is being, and I think it kind of gets into my three dead or alive people, being a leader in a way that is kind of has a calm kindness to it, but also highly successful, highly driven, you know, it's it, to me, it, th those are things that I am working towards. And these are the people that I look up to. Yeah. And maybe I'll get there someday. <laughs> I'm a little well, scattered. I'm not there yet. It's, it's the constant pursuit of excellence and continuous improvement. Uh, legacy. What do you want on your tombstone? How do you want to be remembered? Yeah, I, I, I want my tombstone to say something about you could be, you're going to be here real soon too. So <laughs> don't take for granted what you got. I don't, I'm not sure how to fit that on the tombstone. And I, I might have a little funny something to it, but I think it's not exactly how I want to be remembered, but that would be the message that I want to tell everybody. Be grateful for every day you have right now because you don't know when you're not going to have it. Amen. All right. Close us out. The time is yours. 
What would you like to share with the industry that we haven't covered? Sharing your interest with other people, whether it be, or sharing, I guess your interest and your excitement with other people. I love working with younger staff, but it's also people like you, BJ. It's some of your staff that I've talked to. It's, you know, a lot of the clients that we're working with at the different federal agencies. Being curious, stay curious about who they are, what keeps them up at night, how you can help solve their problems. A client, absolutely, but there it goes for the staff that you're working with. You know, what is going to get them to be a better person? And it doesn't have to be always job related, but I guess my biggest thing is stay interested and curious in other people and their stories and how to help others around you become that A player. Susie, it was so great to have you on the show. Thank you for your time and for your questions. Flipping the script on me. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, so it's been great. This, hopefully I can get you, get talking to you a little bit more excited. We, we just got started. We've got lots more questions. <laughs> All right. If you enjoy this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast, favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants. Until next time, have a great week and a great weekend.